uh, because after five months of just sitting around, <laughs> Penny has finally, finally uh, agreed to be nudged back into the pulpit where she belongs. So uh, let's go ahead and welcome Penny. You guys, <laughs> you're going to make me cry. You know. <laughs> Oh, I was already crying all through worship, watching the worship team, because they were all so young when they were here, and the Lord sent them out, and you know, the kingdom of God is always expanding, and it was, I felt so like a proud mother, you know, watching the team up here leading worship. It was so wonderful. For those of you that are, that are uh, new, I had an accident, a really bad car accident back in May, and it's a, a miracle that I survived. And God really did spare my life. But several times he told me that I was going to get to teach the word again. and Because that's my favorite thing to do, is to teach God's word. And so I'm so excited about that. I'm also really excited about the passage that I was given today. Um, it's so much fun to have a passage that you're really passionate about. And this, this passage is one of my all-time favorites. I absolutely love um, the passage that we're going to look at. We've started a series in Colossians. And so if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the stage and on the uh, sound booth back there. Just pick one up so you can read along because we're going to be really looking at this and unpacking uh, this passage together. I love the book of Colossians. It is so rich. But the theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. We talk about Jesus all through the book of Colossians, and today is just the crowning pinnacle of the supremacy of Christ. So this is called the supremacy of Christ. We're going to take the next few minutes and just talk about Jesus, talk about him the whole time. Doesn't that sound pretty good to talk about Jesus? And so that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, as I studied this passage, I thought, wow, this is really a foundation for us as believers. And we need to go back to our foundation on a regular basis because sometimes we kind of forget our foundation. And even me, over these last few months, it's been good for me to go back to my foundation and really go over what is it that I believe and, and, and who are you, God? It's been really, really comforting for me to do that. And so we're going we're gonna to be able to do that this morning, go over some foundation. We're not going to do it justice because we could spend weeks on just this one passage alone. It, it is just a powerful, powerful passage. But as I studied it, I remembered a time in my life when I had really committed my life to Jesus as a teenager, I'd had this off-the-charts experience with Jesus, and my life was absolutely changed from this experience. And I loved him, and I was going to church, and I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. I really felt like he was calling me to do something. And I wasn't sure, you know, was it missions? What, you know, what was it? And this one particular day, I was home alone, it was my senior year in high school, and my parents were both gone, and these 
these two men came to the door. You know how you have these, these different cult groups that end up coming and knocking on your door and they try to convince you that your way is wrong and that you need to join up with their group. Well, I opened the door and we started talking and we started talking about Jesus and I thought, wow, you know, they, they believe in Jesus and we're talking. But after a few minutes, it became very clear that they had different ideas about who Jesus was. They said, you know, I mentioned that something about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they went, we don't believe in the Trinity. You know, and they said, where did you get that? And they said, that's not in the Bible. Show me where it's in the Bible. And I'm, I'm searching, you know, and I couldn't find that anywhere in the Bible. And then they told me, they said, um, Jesus also is not God. You guys are wrong on this whole Trinity thing of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being God, but yet three persons. They said, that's wrong. There's one big God, and he's Jehovah God, and he created Jesus at a point in time. They actually used the passage that we're going to look at today to, to try to prove their point. Well, I was just thrown for a loop. And did you know that we can take about any verse out of context in scripture to prove a point did you know that we can we can prove about anything and that's why it's so important that we keep things in context and look at the bible as a whole well i was really confused by the time they left and um so when my parents came home i remember telling them how confused i was and how do we know the things that we believe are, are correct? How, you know, maybe they're right, you know, and, and I was so confused. I knew I had met Jesus, but I was really confused about exactly who he is, who he is. And so I remember my mom said, yeah, you know, it's really important that you go deeper and that you begin to learn the word of God. And she said, you need to really begin to understand your, what you believe and why so that you can give a defense for your beliefs. And so she gave, my mom uh, loved to study the word like I do. I kind of got that from my mom. And so she got one of her books on theology and was showing me. And she said, now I want you to take this and study this. And I had so much fun over the next few weeks studying theology and coming to a place of rest in my own life but you know I bet most of you or many of you here in the room have had the similar experience that I had right have you ever had someone come to your door or someone at work and they begin to talk to you and say, oh, you know, Jesus is just an angel or Jesus is just a good teacher, you know, or, or Jesus is not God, you know, all kinds of things. Or I had someone recently tell me, they said, uh, your, your belief in Jesus is fine, but you need to realize that you're like Jesus. You are God, and I'm God, and we're all God, you know. And so you have all these teachings that will come at you, and sometimes you're just not sure, you know, how to deal with that, how to, how to answer, how to give a good defense for our faith. So it's really important that we know that, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the passage and see that the Apostle Paul was in a very similar situation that we live in today. I mean, let me tell you, there is nothing new under the sun. You know, a lot of times we'll go, wow, there's all these cult groups today and the New Age movement and all of that. No, that stuff has 
always been around. You read church history and you'll see these things springing up constantly to try to lead the church astray. Now, remember last week, Danny opened up with the intro of uh, Colossians and he, and they had two main groups that were coming against the church of Colossae and this is why the Apostle Paul um, wrote the book of Colossae because he wanted to help the church there to stay on track. They had, if you'll remember, they had the Judaizers and they were a group of Jewish people that um, they thought Jesus was cool, they liked him, but they said, you know, to really be saved, you believe in Jesus and you have to live by the Old Testament law and, and you have to abide by everything in the Old Testament law. If you don't, you will not be saved. So it was not Jesus alone, which Jesus is what saves us, but it, it was adding something to the gospel. And we need to be really careful that we don't do that, add something to the gospel. So these Judaizers are coming in and they're trying to persuade all the believers in the Colossian church that they have to do all these things according to the Old Testament Jewish customs. Now, the other group that he was coming against were the Gnostics. We could spend a long time talking about these guys, but they're very, very similar to the whole New Age movement today. But they believed in this higher knowledge. They're always talking about this higher knowledge that you want to get to. And they said, well, Jesus may be okay, but that is just the first rung on the ladder to finding this higher mystery, this higher knowledge that all of you need to find. Don't stop at Jesus. That's okay if you want to start with him, but keep climbing the ladder till you can find truth and find this inner peace that they talked about. And so they're always discussing this, this knowledge, this secret knowledge that only they have. And they were very arrogant about it. The other thing, too, the Gnostics didn't like is anything physical. So they didn't like the fact that Jesus had a physical body. And so they thought they saw anything material as evil and bad. And so Jesus had a body, but maybe he doesn't now, so maybe he's okay now. And so they were just really, really against anything material. So Paul, he's trying to combat this by showing that Jesus is supreme. He is above everything. And so here's a definition for the word supreme. It is the quality quality or state of having more power, authority, or status than anyone else. The state of being supreme. And that's what Jesus is. And so we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit here and just talk about the supremacy of Jesus, which is so exciting. So let's take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we open up the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are supreme in all of the universe and that we get to know you, Lord. We thank you that you have condescended and come down to where we are so that we would know you, the great God of the universe. And so, Lord, I pray now as we open the scriptures, you would fill me with your spirit. Give me endurance to teach what is in here in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Okay, chapter 1 in Colossians, and it's verse 15. We're going to start there, and we're just going to kind of take a little bit at a time and unpack it. Okay, so starting with verse 15, speaking of Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, we're going to hit four major points on this to just make sure that we know that Jesus is supreme because this is a timeless truth. He was speaking this to the Colossians, but this is something for us today. This truth about Jesus carries over to our church today, and so we need to make sure that we know this too. So the first point he, he's bringing out, he said, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, what he does, Paul is, is just a, a master at building a case. And so he's building a case here. And so he begins kind of low, and he says he's the image of the invisible God. Okay, now the Greek word for image is icon. It's where we get our English word icon, which is pronounced exactly the same way. But it basically means an image or a representation. Sometimes it can mean a picture or a portrait of someone. And so basically what he's saying is that Jesus is the portrait of the Old Testament God that, that was invisible. No one saw God in the Old Testament. And so he's saying Jesus came to make him known. Jesus wanted you to see him with skin on. It's, it's like in John 1.10. John said, no one has ever seen God. God, the only son who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And so he wants us to know who he is. You want to know who Jesus is? You, you want to know who the Father is? Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels and you'll see what God is like. You go, wow, that's the way he relates. That, that's who he is. And we need to make sure that we uh, do that. If you skip down to verse 19, we're going to skip down just for a moment. It's not up here on the, on the overhead yet. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But it says in verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Jesus. So basically, this is not just a portrait, you know, of someone that you can see on the outside. It is his very being, his character, how he relates to people, the very fullness, everything of God is being shown through Jesus. And so we want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Read about him. That's why it's important that we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read them on a regular basis so we can really understand what he is like. And Paul is basically hitting the Gnostics here real hard. He's saying he's no second-rate God. 
He's no first rung on the ladder that we're just climbing up till we can find real truth. He is the real deal. All the fullness of God is within him. And that is the top. That He is the ladder. I mean, he is the top of everything. Once you meet him, you've, you don't have to go any higher. You don't have to go find this secret knowledge. You've met him. Now, Jesus takes us deeper in him and helps us understand more and more who he is. But that, we, once we've met him, we've met him. And we just want to get to know him better for the rest of our lives. And so we need to keep doing that. Okay, so he, he says, not only that, is he the image of the invisible God? He says he is the firstborn among all creations. Now that group that's, that came to my door when I was like 17, they used this verse to say he was the firstborn among all creation. That means that he was created by Jehovah God. He was created at a point in time. So he's a lesser being. He's a lesser God. And there's the big God and then Jesus is the little God. Well, that word um, firstborn of all creation, that, that phrase, it can mean the firstborn of all of the brothers and sisters, or it can mean first of rank and of honor. And this is exactly what Paul is meaning here. He is the first of rank and honor, and we know that because remember Paul's building a case. We know that because look at the next verse that we just read. Verse 16 says, he's the creator of all things. He, he's the guy that creates everything. I want to read that verse again because it's so powerful. It is so good. It says, for by him, this is Jesus he's speaking about, for by him all things were created. Look at what he created. Things in heaven, that means all the angels, all the beings, everything in heaven uh, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers. That means all the political leaders. He's, he's created them. You know, and the next time you're mad at a political leader, it's good to realize and remember Jesus created those people. I need to pray for them. And I've had to do that, especially in, in an election year. You know, I'll be listening to something and get so mad. And then I'll think, wait a minute. God created those guys, you know, and, and I need to pray for them. I, I'm not, you know, he loves these people. He created whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and not only were they created by him, they were created for him. They were created to worship him. Every person, everything. I love, I love the Psalms, how they talk about how all of creation is clapping their hands. The stars are clapping their hands in praise to God. Everything was created for him, which is exciting when you think about it. Think about it. Everything was created for him. So those people that we're upset with, we need to pray, God, turn them into a worshiper. Turn them into a worshiper of you. So he's higher than any, anything, because he is the creator at any point in time that you want to pick. He's always 
been there as the great creator. Okay, now let's move on to the fourth thing. This one I love. It says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. You know, this is really interesting. Did you know that to this day, physicists don't know why molecules, why atoms hold together? They have all kinds of theories, but they're just not sure why our bodies hold together. Well, look at what the Bible says. Jesus holds all things together. And if at any moment he opened his hand and said, I don't want to do it anymore. I mean, I can't even imagine what that would look like, but we would go flying. And this would be, this has been particularly comforting to me during my recovery is that, you know, oftentimes doctors in the beginning would just say, oh, you know, we don't know how, how far you're going to get. And uh, they didn't say very positive things sometimes. And I would have to go back to, no, Lord, you hold all things together. I listen to you. You hold all things together. And it's so exciting to, to listen to him. You know, many times I've had to go to him and say, thank you for holding me together. You know, um, I read a, a secular story, oh, a few weeks ago. And the Lord so used that to speak this verse to me. But they, it was basically talking about uh, a company in South America. And they ordered a big top-of-the-line printer from some big company in the United States. And um, they had to get it, you know, quick and get on, you know, begin printing thousands and thousands and thousands of whatever it was. I don't even remember. But anyway, so they get the printer in, this company in South America. They get this printer in. Well, the printer didn't work. Well, it had been designed by this young, brilliant guy that was right out of college. He was, I think he'd graduated from Yale or something, and he was just brilliant. Well, he designed this printer. And so when they called the United States and said, this printer's not working, they said, well, you know what? They, they seem really upset, and they seem like this is really urgent. Let's go ahead and send the young man that designed it down so that he can really fix this, get it going, fix whatever the problem is, and get it going for him. So they sent him down to South America. Well, they called back, and they said, this is a kid. They said, why would you send this guy to us? They said, he is wet behind the ears. Send us someone that is experienced. And you know what the reply was? They said, he designed it. He can fix it. And he's going to stay there and sustain it for a while. Well, when I read that, it was just like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I designed you. I can put you back together. And I'm the one that can sustain you, and not just for a while, for all of eternity. And I just had to praise the Lord. I went, that is so true. You are the one that holds me together. And that is true for every one of you too. No matter what you are going through, Jesus is the one that 
hold you together and he's the one that sustains you in the midst of whatever you're walking through some of you may be like me where you've had some physical things that you're working through I'm still in physical therapy and going through all kinds of things um, some of you may just have an illness or maybe it, it might be something internally that you're just dealing with depression or anxiety remember that Jesus is the one that designed you and he's the one that can put you back together and make you work and sustain you. You know, it may be your marriage. And you're looking at your marriage and you're thinking, this is not the way God designed marriage to be. I know it's not. What do you do? You go to the Lord, the one who holds all things together. And you begin to talk to him about it. And then it's important to cooperate and obey him when he leads you to do whatever he leads you to do. But it, it is so encouraging to realize he is the one that holds all things together. Isn't that encouraging? Just to look at Jesus and to say, wow, you are, you are awesome. You are big. You are awesome almighty God you are supreme you are supreme above all others I think Paul does a great job of laying out that case for that he's completely supreme in all of creation okay now he switches gears here in verse 18 he switches gears and he starts talking about the church now now that that first part you know, under Roman numeral one, that is really hitting the Gnostics. You know, he, he's saying, you know, Jesus is the top. Jesus is supreme. He's the best. Now he goes into the church, and he's going to really hit the Judaizers here. Actually, he hits both of them all the time, but he's really going for the juggler vein of the Judaizers here. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's speaking of his resurrection here. He's the first one that was raised from the dead and has his new body now. Okay, so he was the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now remember, Paul He's writing to the local church in Colossae. Paul loved the church. He, he was about building the church. And the reason why, well, you know, the, the Gnostics and the Judaizers were very independent. They didn't want to be a part of this church. They, were, they, were, they wanted to be their own person. The Gnostics, you know, we want to climb to this higher knowledge by myself. I want to go out into the woods and do. And the Judaizers, they were saying, the church, you know, we have the Jewish synagogue over here. And, and, and the Lord was saying, we've got something new now. We want you to come and be a part of the body of Christ to be a part of it. And why? Because Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. He is the head. And, and I love that verse 19 where it says that all the fullness of God resides in him. If we want to connect, really connect with God, 
We have to be connected to the body of Christ. We can connect to him on our own individually, but there is something about the fullness of God that we see when the body of Christ gathers. You know, when we were worshiping today, I could just sense the fullness of God. God is saying, here I am. I'm offering you the fullness of who I am. When we gather, and, and God has set up structure in the church. There's leaders, there's pastors, there's teachers, there's different ministries, there's functions, there's different gifts. And we're all, that's how we find out what we were made for, by being a part of the local church. You know, none of this independent stuff. You know, we try to here in America, you know, I am a rock, you know, and we cut our teeth on a lot of those kinds of things. And we'll say, you know, you often hear people say, well, organized re religion is just not what I'm about. No, 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 no. God loves <laughs> organized faith, not necessarily religion, but he loves his church. He set it up. He he absolutely adores the church. And sometimes we look at it and go, hmm, you know, it, sometimes the church is kind of hard, isn't it? Sometimes we, we get hurt by people in the church, don't we? But you know what? We grow as we work through those things. Jesus calls the church his bride. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people. But he calls the the gathering of the church, his bride, that he is madly in love with. And because he loves the church, we love the church, and we are to be a part of it. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you're called to buy into. Okay, now, and we could talk on and on about that, but we have to move on. Here, in he moves on now, and he hits the top you know, the top of Jesus' supremacy, and he goes right really for the juggler vein of both Gnostics and Judaizers. Here in verse 20, he's just talk, talked about the church and the fullness of God resides there. And in verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Let's just stop there just for a minute. You know, he's wanting you to know that he is supreme in reconciliation. He has reconciled his people to himself. But hold on to that word reconciliation for a minute. It's a really important uh, word that we need to understand. But I want, to, I want you to back up just for a minute to verse 21. This is the part that, that, that stumps us, that, that causes us to stumble. In verse 21, he says, Once you were alienated for, from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Sometimes we read something like that and we think, hmm, I don't, 
think I was an enemy of God. You know, maybe I did a few things not exactly right, but I was more ignorant of God. I didn't really understand who he was. But an enemy, that, that's really pretty, those are pretty tough words to say there. Well, here's the, here's the deal. Here's what the Bible says. It says, and a lot of you know, Romans 3.23, quote it with me if you know it. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The Bible makes it really clear that every single one of us here in the room have sinned. And some of us may say, yeah, you know, I did a few things few little things not so great some of you are saying you don't have to convince me that I'm a sinner <laughs> you know but all of us all of us are sinners I mean that's what the Bible says we we all every single one of us have sinned in this room and and we're lying to ourselves if we say we aren't and that we haven't sinned we all all have sinned and you you might still be saying okay okay still I'm not an enemy though I've done some things that were that were maybe not so great but I'm not really his enemy here's the here's the deal Romans 6:23 quote it with me if you know it for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord see here here's what the problem is we have been building up before we came to Christ, we were building up this huge debt that we owed to God. We were building it up. It was building, building, building this humongous debt that we owed to God. And the only way, the Bible says, to pay it off was death. Someone had to, there had to be shed blood. That's a huge, huge debt to pay that's a huge debt to pay but we we just kind of walk around like oh you know I don't have much of a debt before we knew Jesus we didn't we just kind of walked around and ignored him ignored the great the great debt that we owed him it would be like going and just cleaning out somebody's bank account you know maybe your friend or whatever that wouldn't be a friend that would clean out someone's bank account, but you don't even realize you've done it, or you act like you don't realize that you've done it. You know, that's basically what we've done to God. We just continue cleaning him out, cleaning him out. And that, it has something to do with that is why we are enemies and alienated, alienated to God. Most of us have no clue of the debt that we owe God. Because the payment for that is death. But look at what it says in verse 22. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is absolutely amazing when you think about it. Think about what we've gone over, who Jesus is, this almighty powerful God who is the creator of everything he is supreme in all of creation think about how how big and how awesome he is but yet he looks down at us each one of us 
And he said, I must provide a way to be reconciled to my people that I've created. And I always think about that and go, why? Why were you so interested in us? And, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot about that when we go to heaven. But for some reason, he has always wanted to be reconciled to his people. Now, let me just talk a moment about reconciliation. Could you put that first slide up for a moment, Lori? We have a slide here, and this is, this is the way we view people that are not reconciled. We, this is a very human way we deal with, recon, or that we view reconciliation or un, being unreconciled. You know, you have two people, they have an argument, they, they get kind of mad at each other, and they just kind of turn their backs to each other. Maybe not physically, but emotionally. And I just don't, you know, want to be around you. I don't like you. I'm angry at you. And then... One person humbles their heart and they will say, turn towards the other person and say, will you forgive me? I was wrong in the way that I talked to you. Put the second slide up. Yeah, thanks, Lori. This is two people being reconciled. The other person goes, oh, I was wrong too. And, and will you forgive me? And they hug and kiss and make up. And they're, all, they're towards each other and they're all friends now. That's the way that we view reconciliation on a human level now God's reconciliation is completely different put up that third slide please this one I loved it Vicki found this one for me and I thought what a perfect example of the way God views reconciliation the the father there I think it's the father of this little girl he is towards his little girl she's obviously very angry and has her back to her father this is the way the Father in heaven is with us all the time. If you read the biblical view of reconciliation, he is always towards his people. Throughout the Bible, he's constantly pursuing, pursuing, pursuing his people. Come, come to me. I'm a, I'm a God full of loving kindness. Come to me. He provided the Old Testament sacrificial system so people could keep coming to him. And, and he continued to show his, because he loved us so much. I don't even fathom the depth. Of, or I can't even wrap my mind around the depth of God's love for me, for you. He absolutely adores you. And I that's one of the reasons I love Romans 5, 8. It says, God proved his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. See, he loved you so much. He said, what can I do that will absolutely prove my love to mankind? What can I do that will prove this love? And I just think it's so cool that he wanted to prove his love to us. This mighty, almighty, big God. And he says, I want to prove it to you. Little you. Little you. And he stepped off his throne in heaven. He came to earth. He dwelt among us so we could see what he's like, hang out with us, and eventually people turned against him. He allowed them to capture him, beat him to a 
pulp and then eventually take him and hang him on the cross, a criminal's death. A criminal's death. That's not just the worst of it, though. The worst of it is that all of our sins, every sin that we've ever committed was poured out, poured out upon him on the cross. I mean, think of the worst thing that you're ashamed of in your life that you've done. That was placed upon him on the cross. He took it. And it says here that by his blood, by his blood, he cleansed us. He cleansed us by his blood. I love 2 Corinthians 5.23. It says, God made him who knew no sin. See, Jesus was sinless. He never did anything wrong. He's the only person that never did anything wrong. But he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we, we might become the righteousness of God. See, when he looks at you, when you, when you get reconciliation... And you get, God's been for me. God's been for me. And he wants me to turn to him. And that's what, when you get it, you get it, you know, it's like all of a sudden you go, whoa. He loves me and God really is for me. We turn towards him. And we allow him to forgive us, to begin to put our lives back together, to do all kinds of amazing things in our life. But, but he looks at us. As righteous. The passage said he looks at you as holy, without blemish. I mean, me, holy, you, holy. We don't live holy lives, do we? We, we try to do better, but we blow it every day, don't we? We blow it all the time. But when he looks at you, he sees his son because you are in Christ now. You are in him. And he sees Jesus. And he says, I see you as my child that is completely holy and righteous and is completely without sin. That is the supreme God of reconciliation. Isn't that great news? That is just great news. Why don't you all stand up and we'll do a little ministry time here. You know, there may be some of you here that have just never given your life to Christ. You've never realized this, what I'm talking about today. And you, you know I need to turn to him. I want to turn to him. You're feeling that tugging in your heart. Or maybe you did it a long, long time ago when you were a child and you've just kind of walked away. This is a good time to turn back to the Father and say, Wow, I, I accept your payment for me. And I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. Just pray along with me. Let's all bow our heads. Everyone in the room, bow your heads for a moment. And we're just going to pray a prayer. Just pray along with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I have sinned. And I need you to forgive me. Come, Jesus, now and just wash me clean. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. And that you have cleansed me from all of my sin. 
I accept that gift of forgiveness now in the name of Jesus and I want to follow you for the rest of my life you know let's all keep our heads bowed but if you prayed that prayer along with me would you raise your hand just to let me know that you prayed that God bless you bless you just yeah just for me to see bless you anyone else God bless you Okay, why don't you all look up now? You know, I just want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, tell someone about it. Tell one of us. Come back to the visitor. Welcome. We'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that. It's so important to begin that journey right away. God has such good things for you. But there's also some more things I feel like God wants to do. As I was praying about this, this uh, passage, I felt like the Lord said, there are many of you here that feel kind of like, my life, I need someone to hold me together right now in certain areas. It could be in, your, in school, in your finances, in your marriage, just in your, you know, whatever. I mean, it could be any number of things that I need. I need to be, I need to have that holding, that sustaining power of Jesus to hold me together right now. I felt really strongly that he spoke to me that several of you um, have that and I know Bonnie had a word specifically for uh, like people was it women yeah there were just people in general with scabs on their heart and they'd been divorced and widowed and um, they and that whole concept of whatever you're going through of Jesus holding you together the Lord wants to come and put you back together again so who here I just want to ask you sort of needs that you think I need that just raise your hand right where you are I need to be held raise it real high maybe it's physical sickness or whatever just raise your hand real high okay the rest of us that don't have our hand up I want us to turn around and just kind of gather around keep your hands up keep your hands up you can jump in on it too if you want some prayer today but this is the time that God wants to do some real healing we've had a lot of healing in the church he wants to heal your heart he wants to give you faith raise your hand real high till someone sees you there's people all over kind of scattered you got to get it up there high so they can see you yeah over here yeah there's there's a woman right here yeah right there over here yeah back there there's yeah okay and several of you can gather join in join in over here it's about yeah someone's got you did right here join in with her anybody else that no one's found over here back oh you're just raising your hand to the Lord okay <laughs> anybody else anybody else Okay, ask them what they want prayer for. So you're praying with some clarity. Join in with one of the groups. And I ask them what they need prayer, and I'm just going to say a prayer over you. Holy Spirit, come now, come. Use the people that are praying as conduits of your power. And remember, you don't have to say a lot of words when you're praying. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing. Come Holy Spirit. 
bring your healing touch. We need you to sustain us, to put our lives back together. Come, Holy Spirit. Now just allow the Holy Spirit to keep moving. Keep moving. And the worship team, they're going to go ahead and end with one song. But keep praying while they're, while they're singing. Keep allowing the Lord to work. We stop sometimes too quickly. We have a few more minutes here.
If you're praying, go ahead and continue, and I'm just going to close the rest of us with a prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are and that you desire to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I pray that that thought of you revealing the almighty God, the God that is supreme in all of creation, that you desire to make yourself known, all the fullness of God, that you desired to make yourself known to us. And Lord, let that be on the forefront of our minds this week as we go about our daily lives, as we go to work, to school, whatever we do. You are supreme, Lord Jesus. And we honor you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. And come back next week and bring a friend. And don't forget, the middle schoolers have a hot dog sale. Stop by, and they have baked goods too. So pick up some baked goods to take home on your way. Eat a hot dog. 